Well, good morning, Veritas. Good morning. If you're joining us online, we're going to continue to march through 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull that out. We'll get into that in just a minute. Um, For the past several weeks, Paul has been sort of walking the people in this church at Corinth through the right use of spiritual gifts. And as we enter chapter 14, we can sort of imagine what Paul and the Corinthians might be thinking. Uh, If you remember, last week was uh, the chapter on love Austin taught us. And after that chapter, if you were to kind of get into the shoes of the the people in the church in Corinth, they might be saying something like this. Okay, Paul, we we get that love is essential to using our spiritual gifts. Um, But tell us, like, how does that look like practically, right? Give us some practical advice. How do we know that we're using our gifts in love. And Paul's going to answer that question sort of in, in this chapter. And Paul is, is probably saying something like this. Well, first, I want to be clear. Although I said, don't ever put spiritual gifts above love, right? I'm not doing away with spiritual gifts. They're, they're still good. There's still value in them. Um, in fact, keep your zeal in using your gifts and going after those gifts, right? These Corinthians have a lot of zeal, Paul's told us. But the way that you know that you're using your gifts is, is that they, they build others up. That's how you know that you, you're using your gift in love. But here's the thing. Some gifts do that better than others. Some gifts build others up in love better than others. And so Paul's going to illustrate this with sort of um, a case study, kind of a contrast between two spiritual gifts in this chapter. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, we're going to start out with the first two verses here. You can read along with me. Here's what Paul says. Diokata tain agapain, zeluta de tapunataka, uk anthropois, lale alatha o, ude scarakue, pneumati de lale musteria. So I'm sure you all understood that well, so let's break it down. You guys don't think that was a, a really impressive use of my gift of knowledge and teaching? I mean, come on. Hey, guys, not only was that not impressive, if I were to go on and teach the rest of 1 Corinthians 14 in Greek, it wouldn't do a single thing to build any of you up. And that's Paul's point this morning, okay? If you're taking notes, this is the big idea. The true measure of a spiritual gift is how much it builds others up, not how impressive it is. Okay? The true measure of a spiritual gift is how much it builds others up, not how impressive it is. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 actually says, well, this is one of the things that love does. Love is supposed to build others up. In fact, he uses this concept 13 times in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of building others up. Now, the specific problem in the Corinthian church that Paul will address in this text today is that there are certain people in this church that were prioritizing a spiritual gift. It's the gift of tongues. We'll define that in a little bit. But they think it's really impressive when they use this gift. And the thing about it is it did nothing to build anybody up. Drew a lot of attention to themselves, puffed up their pride and their ego a lot, but it didn't build up a single soul. And so they were kind of like what Paul describes in chapter 13. They were a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Kind of like when I started teaching in Greek, right? You, you, you can literally say, it was Greek to me now, right? 
Let's actually get into the text now. 1 Corinthians 14, we'll take verses one through five. Here's what Paul says. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, here's the contrast, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So last week we learned that there's, there's no such thing as a static Christian, Austin said, and Paul is emphasizing that point right now in light of how we use our spiritual gifts. He's saying, Love has to be pursued. The word that Paul uses there, it means to strive for, to run after. Uh, the message says, go after it as if your life depended on it. So there's a lot of intensity behind this word to pursue love. Love, it doesn't come natural just because you're a Christian, right? It has to be worked at and developed. And Paul expands on this to, to really say in verse one here, pursue love by desiring the spiritual gifts. And, oh, by the way, there's, there's one that's going to have an edge on the others when it comes to loving people, and it's prophecy. We're going to answer the why of that in just a minute, but let's pause to define some terms. So we've got this contrast here. We've got the gift of tongues first, okay? Um, we know that there's different ways that this gift manifests itself because in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, well, there's a gift of different kinds of tongues. We'll consider three this morning. The first is a divine enabling to speak another language. We see this in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Uh, the way that this can often show up is in a cross-cultural context. A missionary goes to another country, and God might do one of two things typically. Either just give them a supernatural ability to speak the native language so that they communicate the gospel to the native people, or oftentimes in a long-term missionary context, he gives a missionary an ability to learn a foreign language at a really, really fast rate, a lot easier than it normally would, again, for the purpose that they can communicate gospel truths to those native people. The point, guys, it's a real language that is foreign to the one that speaks. That's probably not what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, because the purpose is so that the other person can understand. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, nobody understands. The second possibility that we'll consider is the language of angels. He talks about this at the beginning of chapter 13. He's probably just using hyperbole there, though. Um, something like this. Okay, guys, you think you're impressive using your spiritual gifts? Well, let's take a hypothetical. What if you could even speak in the same language as angels? Wow, you guys would think you're impressive. But it wouldn't be impressive without love. So it's probably not that one that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. Probably just using hyperbole there. The one that it probably is, is our third option. We'll call this one an ecstatic utterance. What's that? Well, it's an intelligible verbal manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence in a person. Um, it's genuine communion and communication with God. Um, Paul says later in this chapter, it can come in the form of singing, prayer, praise, thanksgiving. So it's this genuine back and forth between a human being and God. And you might ask, well, how does it help someone? Well, the person speaking in tongues, 
they're really encouraged by a deeper sense of the Holy Spirit in them and the Holy Spirit's work through them, right? We said it's genuine communion with God, so that can build up the person using it. The problem is if nobody else understands it. That's probably what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14. The gift of prophecy is gonna be more important for us this morning because this is gonna come in when we talk about application. I don't want you guys to be scared or intimidated by this word because it's gotten a bad name in large part by Christians. A recent headline in Christianity Today read, failed Trump prophecies offer a lesson in humility. Right, guys, prophecy is, is not for predicting who the next president of the United States is. It's also not to crack a secret code in the book of Daniel that can tell you when the end of the world is coming. Okay, that's not what prophecy is for. Okay, you can breathe a sigh of relief, all right? Because we need to use this gift. You don't have to do that, okay? I want you guys to think about prophecy in two ways. Number one, foretelling, okay? So future telling, right? This is probably what a lot of us in this room have come to know prophecy as. But the second is forth telling or truth telling. The vast majority of the words spoken by prophets in the Bible is truth telling. It's not predicting the future. Okay, simply speaking the words of truth on behalf of God. So for our purposes this morning, let's define prophecy like this. Speaking words of truth to another person on behalf of God. Okay, we brought this down to ground level, right? Speaking words of truth to another person on behalf of God. John Calvin, theologian, says it's applying the worldview of God to the circumstances of men. That might help you as well. Applying the worldview of God to the circumstances of men. Sometimes it's spontaneous, as Mark talked about several weeks ago, but oftentimes it can involve sustained reflection before the words are actually spoken to another person. Now, Paul tells us how to do this in really practical terms in these verses, okay? What does he say here? Verse three, he says, well, one, for strengthening. The word that he uses for strengthening, it it has this idea of building a house on a solid foundation. So you think about, well, what's the foundation that our lives are built on as Christian? And it's really a new identity in Christ Jesus once we become a new creation, right? So the question is, can you remind somebody of what their identity is because they're united to Christ? Yeah, you probably can, right? What about encouragement? This is a word that is often used to describe the Holy Spirit. It means one call to walk alongside. You know, can can you walk alongside somebody in their life and with the words of your mouth, fill them with courage to live out who God's created them to be? I think you probably can, right? I've told you guys from stage that I struggle with anxiety and I get into these funks, where not only am I anxious, but I start drumming up worst case scenarios in my mind, I feel overwhelmed, and my wife is so good to come alongside me, and she will say, okay, Brian, what do you know to be true right now, to kind of bring me down to earth? And I'll say, I don't know, I don't even know what truth is anymore. You know, I have a bad attitude sometimes, you know. (laughs) And she will say, okay, Brian, I'm gonna tell you what truth is. And she'll say, Brian, In these circumstances you're in right now, God has always been faithful to you in circumstances like this. Do you know that? Okay, I guess. Brian, you know that worst case scenario you're running around in your mind? Has that ever happened to you? 
No, it never has. You know? And she'll just remind me of truth. She, it fills me with courage to live out who God's created me to be. I think we can all do that, guys. The last one Paul talks about is consolation. It means to kind of empathize with somebody, right? To put yourself in the place of others, particularly when they're going through some really hard things in life. Now, that's not easy emotionally, but I think we can do that, right? So back to the question we left off on. Why does Paul say, well, especially that you may prophesy? Desire the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Well, let's throw this chart up here. This is a really simple comparison, guys, okay? Here, here's what he's comparing in verses two through four. Okay, tongues, can't understand them. Prophecy, you can. Okay, they're both forms of speech. One is to God, one is to others, but look at the net result. One builds up and one doesn't. So functionally, in the way that the gift functions, prophecy is better than tongues. That's what Paul's saying here in these verses. Listen, love focuses on what strengthens and encourages others, not on one's own needs, right? We learned that from Austin last week. He said, when you're using your gift, do you think more about yourself or more about others? Well, prophecy is naturally going to build others up better than tongues will. Okay? And then look in verse 5. Let me read this again, how he finishes this section. He says, well, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues. And he just, it's kind of a consolation to say, listen, he doesn't literally mean I want every single one of you to speak tongues. He's saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay? Tongue still has some benefit to it. Okay? What he's also doing when he says that is he's saying, it's not only the spiritual elite that can use this gift. Theoretically, anybody can. Any everyday old Christian can. And then he says, but even more, I wish that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So the person who prophesies is greater, functionally. Not essentially, right? There's not something about them that makes them more valuable as a human being, but the net result of their gift in prophesying, well, it's better than tongues because people are loved, people are built up by it. So if you're taking notes, we're going to take our first point, guys, right from verse 1. Be zealous for spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Okay, I think by now, guys, you see that we've removed prophecy from this category of mysterious and unattainable, right? Paul's talked about in very practical terms. I think all of us can, uh, can get an idea of what this is and how we could use this in our life. And listen, guys, in saying pursue prophecy, this is amazing, guys. God is giving us permission and authority to speak on his behalf, okay? We were talking with Ed Noble, a friend of, of Jeff and Mark's. He's a fellow pastor out in California. Told him we were speaking on 1 Corinthians 14, and he said, Guys, in this chapter, it's like Paul is deputizing you. Like, here's your gun, here's your badge. I'm permitting you to go speak on behalf of God. That's amazing. I mean, that's a stewardship. There's a responsibility, but that's amazing, guys. Now, next, Paul is going to give us a couple illustrations to help us better grasp his point. So let's move on to this next chunk, 6 through 12. So in verse 6, he starts out, he says, So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues... How will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? It's an emphasis on, on speech gifts there. And Paul asks a question that expects the answer, well, you won't. If I come to you, think about earlier, and I just teach in Greek all morning, 
How am I going to benefit you? And you would say, you won't. You're not going to benefit us, right? If you can't understand what I say, there's no benefit in it, right? And he gives his first illustration in 7 through 9. He says, well, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on a flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if a bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you'll be speaking into the air. So two illustrations we can understand. You go to a concert and nobody plays the instruments in the proper way, right? There's no distinction in notes. They're not in the right sequence. You don't enjoy the concert, he's saying. It means nothing to you. Those notes just kind of go off into thin air, he's saying. And then back in these times, how, will, how were soldiers warned that they need to get ready for battle? The enemy's coming. Well, a bugle played, and it played very specific notes. Well, if the bugle doesn't know that, those soldiers aren't getting a message when a really important message is needed, right? And the end of, of verse 9 there, it's, it's where our phrase, into thin air, comes from. He's saying, man... The noises, they just go off into thin air. They don't benefit anybody, right? And then he gives another illustration. Look at 10 and 11. He says, There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So Corinth was a cosmopolitan port city. These people in the church in Corinth, when they went out to their daily lives, Monday through Saturday, they would have heard a bunch of different foreign languages that they wouldn't have been able to understand. Going to school, going to the market, wherever they're at. So Paul's drawing on that right here. If you've ever been to a foreign country, you know what this feels like. I remember visiting our team in China, and you just felt lost and confused almost the whole time, right? One, because there's a billion people there, literally, but two, because you just don't understand the language, right? And now to Paul, he's saying, listen, it's unthinkable that you would make a member of your church to feel like a foreigner. And guys, in a place where you're supposed to feel like family. So not only does this using our gifts just to impress others, not build others up, but it fosters division in a place where unity is supposed to really flourish, guys. So here's his conclusion for this section of verse 12. He says, so also you, since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, hey, keep the zeal, right? But seek to excel in building up the church. Once again, we look back to verse, or excuse me, chapter 13, love doesn't seek its own, Paul's saying right? Excelling in spiritual impressiveness, it doesn't do anybody any good. Rather, be good at building others up. Let's go to this next chunk. In, in 13 through 19, he's going to give us another takeaway that's going to be really important for us, I think. So, in 13, therefore the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. So, what he's saying here, guys, is listen, there's one way forward if you're going to use tongues in this setting, in the public gathering of the church, somebody's got to interpret it so everybody else can understand what it means. That's the only way forward. If you can't do that, don't use tongues in the public gathering of the church. Okay? 
Now let's take 14 through 19. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if he prays with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen? Outsider, it's not an unbeliever there. He's just saying somebody who's unfamiliar with the gift of tongues. How will they say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you are saying? For you may may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So let me give you the principle up front. Number two, if you're taking notes, your mind matters when using spiritual gifts, guys. Your mind matters when using spiritual gifts, both in you using your gift to build somebody up and you being on the receiving end of somebody's gift. It's really important to have active participation in the mind in the process of growing and maturing as a Christian. If you can't understand tongues, it's going to have the same result as those lifeless instruments. It's going to disappear into thin air, right? This idea is not foreign to Paul. In chapter 2, he said, listen, Corinthians, we need to have the same mind of Christ, right? talks about this idea of involving our mind all over. For in Romans 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you might say, well, I'm not exposed to tongues. We don't do it at Veritas a whole lot, so... This doesn't apply to me. Well, there's several ways it can apply to us. If we have some people here who are from a more charismatic faith background, and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are from that background, but, but here's the error in their way. You divorce Christianity from rationality and order when it's only about kind of the impressiveness of the gifts as it was for the Corinthians. Now, A way that this might relate to you more, though, is think about this. What about meaningless ritual? So take the gift of service, for example. Paul lists this as a gift, right? A lot of people in this church have the gift of service. What if you use that gift, but you're just kind of going through the motions, right? You might be helping somebody else in a tangible way, but they're not seeing Christ in you as you use that gift. And that's a really big reason why we use spiritual gifts, is so that others may see Christ in us. Now, we see that Paul practices what he preaches at the end of this section here. In verses 18 to 19, the real mark of spiritual maturity is a concern for others, right? And what does he say? He says, well, listen, I actually speak in tongues a lot, and I benefit from it a lot. But here's the thing. I'm willing to set this privilege aside if it means that you're going to be better off for it. I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 that only I can understand and you can't. He's got the same mind as Christ right there as he does that. Okay, let's look at this last section. We'll take verses 20 through 25 as our last section. So, verse 21st. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. So, thinking that you're spiritually superior just because you're using this impressive gift, man, that's acting like a child, right? Right? If you have children, you know that, man, children are pretty good at drawing attention to themselves. They're pretty good at focusing on their own needs, right? Saying, man, you're just acting like a child when you do that. 
You want to be a child in something, he says, be a child in evil. Okay, that's something you don't want to grow and mature in, right? And then look, let's look at these last four verses. Now he's going to bring unbelievers into the equation, okay, how they can be impacted by our gifts. Verse 21, he says, It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues, and people are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result he will fall face down and worship God proclaiming God is really among you. So there's another way that our gifts can benefit people. They can benefit unbelievers. Okay, This is a, a little bit confusing section. Let's make it understandable for you guys. So let's talk about this word sign. He says, well, tongues are a sign for unbelievers and prophecy is a sign for believers. What does sign mean? Well, when sign is used in the Bible, it, it most often means um, an expression of God's attitude toward a person or a group of people. Okay, And so when he talks about unbelievers, he uses this illustration from Isaiah, right? Here's, here's what happened in this Old Testament verse he quotes. Through Isaiah, God gave a very plain and simple message, spoken. Remember, we're talking about speech gifts here. So he speaks in, in an understandable language. Here's your message. Repent and turn to me. What did the Israelites do to that very understandable message? They rejected it. So what does God do? He puts them under captivity of the Assyrians, who speak a foreign language that they can't understand. And so what's the net result of it? Well, they didn't hear and believe his message through Isaiah, so they're under God's judgment. Okay, Awesome, let's put that chart up. So tongues are assigned to unbelievers who don't hear and believe the truth, and the result of that is God's judgment. So how does that apply to the church today? Well, he says, he says here's what can happen today. An unbeliever walks in the door, and we're all speaking in tongues, right? And they look around, they can't understand a thing. They think we're all crazy. And they're like, we got to get out of here, right? Well, what, what's the net result? Well, they didn't hear and believe the message of the gospel, so they're still under God's judgment, okay? He's not comparing apples to apples, but he's saying the net result is the same, okay? So let's talk about an application for us. Guys, we should never veil the truth of the Christian faith to anybody, okay? An unbeliever walks in. We should want to reach them with all of our souls. And what happens? They say, you're insane, and they walk out, never hearing the gospel message. How do we do that today? Maybe the gift of knowledge in teaching sometimes. You know, we use big words and impressive language that unbelievers can't understand, makes us look good, but the unbeliever can't understand the message, and what happens? Well, they don't hear and believe the message of the gospel, right? And they're still under God's judgment. We need to be very careful to not do that. So let's talk about prophecy. He says, well, prophecy is a positive sign to believers who do hear and believe the truth, because what does he say? Well, he says, well, prophecy, everybody can understand it, 
They're getting strengthened, they're getting encouraged, they're getting consoled, right? It's a sign of God's presence. It's a sign of God's blessing on this people, right? And the evidence of God's presence among them, it's not only, though, guys, that it strengthens, encourages, and consoles believers. What does he also say? He says, all right, scenario number two, an unbeliever walks in and you're all prophesying. What happens? Ah, they hear, they understand, they're challenged, their sin is exposed. What are the words he uses? The secrets of their heart are revealed, they're convicted. And what's the net result here? They fall face down and proclaim, God is really among you. They're saved. They're adopted into the family of our Heavenly Father. So you can see why Paul, in his conclusion here, he says, well, prophecy is greater than tongues in the public gathering of the church for two reasons. Better at building up believers, and it's better at building up unbelievers. So last takeaway, guys. Prioritize the spiritual gifts that most readily build others up. Okay? Prioritize the spiritual gifts that most readily build others up. Now, what might this mean for us practically? Well, first, um, this first one we've said many times from stage, and I'm going to speak on behalf of the elders and pastors. We're okay if you're sick of hearing this one. Because until everybody follows through with it, I think we're still going to say it from stage. <laughs> Join a connection group, okay? Dale loves that one, all right? Guys, you can't build others up if there's not others in your life, okay? This is a pretty good platform for using your spiritual gifts. Connection groups is a better platform for using your gifts, okay? You guys remember a couple weeks ago when Jeff made that note that Paul says, man, you are indispensable to the body of Christ with your spiritual gifts, what if there's somebody in here who has a need that only you can meet with your unique gifts? What if you're indispensable to somebody in the body of Christ? That need's probably going to get met in a connection group. Certainly probably in a smaller gathering than this. Number two, make it a priority not just to desire but to use the gift of prophecy. We saw how it's not unattainable we strengthen, we encourage, we console others with words that are in line with Scripture. And so one thing to say about this, there's a lot of godly men and women in this church, when they open their mouth, it's like a gold rush. The problem is when they open their mouth. It's hardly ever. Okay? Pursue this gift. And if God reveals to you that you've got a special gift of prophecy, of strengthening, encouraging, and consoling others, use it. Okay? Last, stop using your gifts to impress others. And remember, Paul is talking about speech gifts here in particular. So let's, let's poke at our hearts here a little bit. Do you consistently dominate conversations, particularly in spiritual contexts? Okay, maybe check your motives if, if that's the case. Do you flaunt your knowledge to impress others? Maybe check your motives if that's the case, right? Is your conversation mostly opinions with very little truth mixed in? Again, particularly in a spiritual context, think about it. Are you in connection group? Is it just opinion? I think, I think, I think, I think. Or is it the Bible says? Maybe check your motives if that's the case. Guys, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ, and he lives that out in this passage where he says, listen, 
I've got this gift, and man, it does a lot of good for me. It's rightfully mine to use, but I'm going to set it aside because it's going to mean more good for you. We are no more like Christ. We, we, we no, never imitate Christ more closely than when we take what might be rightfully ours, a privilege, a freedom, and we set it aside for the good of others. We do what's best for their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Paul says in Philippians 2 that Christ, he set this example for us, right? He, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's a lot of privileges that go along with being God, right? <laughs> a lot of them, okay? He set those aside in favor of service, humiliation, hunger, thirst, fatigue, being mocked at, right? Extreme death and suffering. Veritas, we want to be a church that follows that example. Okay, let's, let's pray into that, guys. Heavenly Father, it is so humbling to come before your word. It just exposes our souls, God. And I pray that you are exposing um, the ways that we use our gifts that just don't honor you and don't build others up, God. Reveal to us the ways that we just seek to impress others and draw attention to ourselves and kind of inflate our pride and our ego, God. But help us not lose a desire for the gifts, God. Help us have a zeal to pursue these gifts and to use them in a way that just first and foremost focuses on the good of others, God. Help us just be so full of joy as you call us to set aside our desire to impress others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.